0: Thanks for tuning in. On the northeastern side of Lake Erie in Ohio is the small city of Lorraine, home now to about 64,000 residents. But 70 years ago, it was home to a young boy named Samuel Little who grew up to murder 93 women. The first woman in Samuel's life was his grandmother who raised him. He attended high school in Lorraine, but didn't stay long and left with only a grade 8 education. By the time Samuel was 16, he was arrested for burglary and did time in a youth center. When he finished his sentence, he quickly returned to his life at crime. As reported by Fox News, over the next 14 years, Samuel was arrested 26 times in 11 different states, stretching from the west to the east coast of the United States. His arrests included shoplifting, theft, assault, rape, aggravated assault on a police officer, DUI, fraud, breaking and entering, and solicitation of a prostitute. Although Samuel will do short stints in prison, like the two years he served for robbing a store in Lorraine in 2000, he would always go right back to a life of crime when he got out. By day, Samuel's favorite crime was shoplifting. He would travel across the United States from city to city, staying only three or four days in each city. he lurked in the dark shadows of society with the prostitutes, homeless, and drug-addicted. During the day, he'd take a stolen haul out to the decaying and downtrodden parts of the city to sell them. Then at night, he would stalk and murder women. As reported by the Gainesville Sun in September 1982, Patricia Ann Mount was last seen dancing at a bar with 42 year old Samuel Little in Alachua County, Florida. They left together and she was never seen alive again. Her 26 year old body was found in a field along Highway 27 in Florida, nude and badly bruised. Also in September, Melinda Lepree was seen getting into a brown wood-paneled station wagon with Samuel in Pascagoula, Mississippi. A month later, her skeletal remains were found four miles away in a cemetery. Another month goes by and it's November and Samuel is arrested again for shoplifting. He's still in Pascagoula and police determine he matches the suspect last seen with Melinda Lepree. He is arrested and charged with murder, but a grand jury does not indict him because there's not enough evidence. Instead, he is extradited to Florida and charged with Patricia Ann Mount's murder. A year and a half later, in January 1984, a jury would acquit Samuel, and he was once again a free man. Eight months later, in September 1984, Samuel attacked Lori Barrows. He strangled her and left her for dead on the side of the road, but she survived and reported the attempted murder. A month later, Tonya Jackson was in the back seat of Samuel's car being beaten when police caught Samuel in the act. Police arrested him and charged him with attempted murder for both women. Samuel went to trial, but the jury is deadlocked. Samuel uses this opportunity to plead guilty to assault and false imprisonment and only serves two and a half years in prison. In February 1987, Samuel is granted parole and moved to Los Angeles in California where his murder rage continues. Five months later in July, Carol Alford is dead. Her body found in an alley. She had been strangled. Two years later in August 1989, Audrey Nielsen is dead. Her body found in a trash bin. Three weeks later, Guadalupe Apodaca is found dead. As reported in New York's The Cut magazine, Guadalupe's story ended in an abandoned garage in South Central Los Angeles. A nine-year-old boy kicking a soccer ball against the wall of the building had peeked into one of its glassless windows and spied a naked pair of women's legs. The high school photo of a pretty, if somewhat bewildered-looking blonde was unrecognizable as the emaciated, broken body, wearing only a red sweatshirt. She was found curled into a fetal position in a dumpster behind a Chinese restaurant. Five years later, on New Year's Day in 1994, Denise Brothers disappeared from Odessa, Texas. She was working as a prostitute and left her home for work and never returned. Her body was found a month later, dumped in the bush at the back of an abandoned parking lot. She had died from strangulation. In the next 20 years, Samuel continues on his crime spree and is charged in many states for shoplifting, burglary, larceny, and theft, among others. In 2007, Samuel is in possession of cocaine in Los Angeles. He is arrested and pleads guilty. He is sentenced to a drug diversion program, but when he fails to report in, a bench warrant for his arrest is issued. Over the next five years, Samuel continues his life of crime on the run, and when police in other states pick him up, they discover the bench warrant from Los Angeles is non-extraditable. In 2012, Samuel was 62 years old, and things were about to change for him. The Los Angeles Police Department received a grant from the National Institute of Justice and formed a cold case special section. They began screening DNA from old cold case murder files, and in April, they got two matches to Audrey Nelson and Guadalupe Apadaca, both found murdered in the summer of 1989. DNA from the victim's fingernails and clothes matched Samuel Little. Mitzi Robert, a Los Angeles detective, sees the opportunity to act on Samuel's outstanding drug warrant from 2007 to extradite him back to Los Angeles. She took the warrant to the district attorney and he agreed to extradite Samuel if Mitzi could find him. And five months later, she did. Sheriff's deputies in Louisiana traced an ATM purchase Samuel made at a store in Louisville, Kentucky. Samuel was found nearby at a Christian shelter. He was arrested and extradited back to California. This time, justice is quick. Two months later in November, Samuel is sentenced to three years for the outstanding drug charge now with them locked up, police continue screening cold cases for DNA matches and they get a third match, to Carol Alford, found dead in a Los Angeles alley in the summer of 1987. Samuel's DNA match, DNA found on her bra and under her fingernails. Now Detective Mitzi Roberts, along with the Detective Rick Jackson from the Los Angeles Police Department, turn their attention to Patricia Ann Mount, who was last seen with Samuel in the fall of 1982 and later found dead along the highway in Florida. The Gainesville Sun reported that Greg Weeks, the originally detective on Patricia's case, referred Rick to Linda Brown at Alachua County Sheriff's Office, saying she was great at finding old cases. Linda said the file was among 3,000 boxes of cold case files that had been moved off-site. She found the file, which had hundreds of pages, in no particular order. The file would turn out to contain critical information linking Samuel to murders throughout Florida. Linda helped detectives create a timeline of Samuel's whereabouts over the decade using dates on old motel receipts, contact he had with law enforcement, and witness statements. The investigators were able to match the dates on the motel receipts to dates of the murders. Linda also found information in the file on two other murders in 1982, Rosie Hill and Melinda Labrie. Within a week, Linda had copied everything in the file, organized it, and sent it to Detective Mitzi and Rick in Los Angeles. A disturbing find was a letter from 1983 that the Alachua County Sheriff's Office sent to the police department in Little Rock, Arkansas, stating that investigators indicated Samuel could have been involved in the murder of about 60 women throughout the United States. Now, I know you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. If they suspected him of that many murders, why wasn't he in prison? But DNA testing didn't start until 1985, and up until that time, police often didn't have much evidence to go on. And as Rolling Stone magazine reported, Little targeted marginalized women, many of them women of color. And the FBI has admitted that many of the murder cases that they've linked to Little were not just unsolved, but barely investigated. Some of his victims hadn't even been identified. And although Little, a former competitive boxer, usually beat his victims and then strangled them. Many of these deaths were not classified as homicides, but attributed to drug overdoses, accidents, or natural causes. In January 2013, Samuel is charged with three counts of murder for Carol Alford, Guadalupe abedaka and Audrey Nelson. Throughout the trial, he declared he was innocent, but this time prosecutors had DNA evidence along with witness statements, and Samuel was found guilty of all three murders in 2014 and sentenced to three consecutive life sentences, with no possibility of parole. Meanwhile, the FBI had gotten involved and through their violent criminal apprehension program known as VICAP, they were putting together a report on Samuel Little. They were looking for links between unsolved murders across the United States and Samuel's travels. One case stood out in Odessa, Texas from 1994. The murder of Denise Brothers, very similar to the three Samuel, had just been convicted of. FBI investigator Christina Palazzola with Angela Williamson from the Department of Justice were joined by Texas Ranger James Holland and the three flew to California to talk to Samuel. By this time, he was in poor health and unhappy with his prison location. He agreed to talk to them if they would arrange to transfer him to another prison. He was moved and he began talking. 60 Minutes produced a documentary that aired on CBS in October 2019, It included an interview with Texas Ranger James Holland, who would be credited with getting Samuel Little to confess to 93 murders in 19 states from 1970 to 2005. The documentary states that no one would have known the scale of Little's crimes if not for a Texas Ranger who had a hunch. Little had never confessed to anyone about anything. But over the course of 700 hours of interviews, Ranger James Holland coaxed a 79-year-old into revealing his life's work. James had never heard of Samuel Little, but he was a skilled interviewer and took an interest in Samuel's case, particularly the possibility that he was linked to the Texas cold case murder of Denise Brothers in 1994. James was very used to dealing with cases with very little evidence and no DNA. A quote from the documentary describes James as a swagger that would make John Wayne envious. Texas Ranger James Holland arrived this summer at the California State Prison He was escorted to the interview room for another round with Samuel Little, the killer who went undetected for nearly half a century. During the 700 hours James spent interviewing Samuel, he told 60 Minutes Sharon Alfonsi that to get him to talk, he avoided things like remorse and closure for the family. A quote from James states, Samuel vented in the interview room for 30 minutes that he had been wrongly depicted as a rapist. And there was no doubt in my mind that Samuel Little was not a rapist. But I told him he knew it and I knew it, that he was a killer. And he stops and he kind of looks at me for a second and he didn't seem to mind it. And then you could see it in his eyes as he's looking away and he follows me back as I say the word killer. And that appealed to him. That's how he defines himself. James asked Samuel, Where did you kill the most? And Samuel replied, Miami and Los Angeles. James went on to say, Samuel was a cunning killer who sized up his victims and his surroundings. First thing I picked up on was how wicked smart he was, like genius. His photographic memory, his memory for details. For example, Samuel remembered unusual arches close to the spot where he killed a woman outside of Miami. Sure enough, when Miami detectives investigated, they saw the arches. Little had strangled Miriam Chapman near those arches in 1976. Baines asked Samuel, Tell me about North Little Rock. Tell me what that girl looked like. Samuel said, Had buck teeth. Had a gap between her teeth. James noticed Samuel grows disturbingly animated as he describes how he strangles his victims. Samuel continues, She was fighting for her life, and I'm fighting for my pleasure. A little skinny black girl. Real friendly. She was laughing while I was killing her. In the interview, James said, With Sammy, there's indications of visualization of when he's thinking about a crime scene, he just starts stroking his face and as he's starting to picture a victim, you'll see him look out and up and you can tell he has this revolving carousel of victims and it's just spinning and he's waiting for it to stop the one that he wants to talk about. Investigators had discovered that Samuel liked to sketch so Ranger Holland gave Mart supplies wondering if he might be able to use his remarkable memory to draw his victims and Samuel began to draw. Interviewer Sharon Alphonse asks him, Is there one that you looked at and you knew right away? Oh, that's so-and-so? And James answered, There's a lot of them. She asks how many Samuel has sketched, and he replies, Around 50. James shows Sharon the sketches, and she says he basically takes a photograph in his mind of exactly what he sees as he leaves them. Sharon asks James, Was there a moment where you said, I've got him'?" And James replied, yeah, when he talked about there may be three victims in Texas, and one of them was in Odessa. FBI agent Christy Palazzola and Angela Williamson from the Department of Justice were across the hall listening to the interview and realized he was talking about Denise Brothers from 1994. Samuel is telling James details of the crime that hadn't been reported. In Denise's case, he remembered that she wore a denture. And the autopsy confirmed Denise did wear a denture, and all the details matched. Samuel Little had killed Denise brothers. Texas Ranger James knew he was on to something big. He had Samuel extradited to Texas for a few months so he could talk to him around the clock and extract more confessions. In September, Samuel flew from California to Texas and for 48 straight days, for hours on end, the two men sat in a small room and during that time, Samuel confessed to 65 murders. Later on, when Sharon Alfonsi placed a call with Samuel in prison, she said he spoke of his victims. They was broke and homeless, and they walked right into my spider web. I don't think there was another person that did what I like to do. I think I'm the only one in the world. That's not an honor. That's a curse. Samuel was charged with Denise's brother's murder and pled guilty in December 2018. He was sentenced to life in prison. Samuel made a plea deal which took away the death penalty in exchange for a full confession. The sentence in Texas is running concurrently with the three life sentences in California. In August 2019, Samuel Little would be charged with two more murders. As reported by USA Today, Anna Lee Stewart, she was 33 when she was strangled in October 1981. Samuel told investigators she drove her body to Grove City outside Columbus And dumped her in a wooded area near a small apartment complex. Her murder was unsolved until Samuel's confession. In the second case, the victim's name is not known. Samuel pled guilty to killing a Jane Doe. Samuel told prosecutors he was in or near downtown Cincinnati. A woman motioned for him to come inside a building. They did drugs together with a second woman he described as a heavy-set Mexican woman. The first woman then agreed to go to a car and have sex with them. Little said he strangled her and left her body on a hillside, possibly under a billboard for cool cigarettes. Samuel wanted it to be known that he never sexually assaulted or kidnapped any of the women. He said they always voluntarily went with him. His purpose for picking them up was strictly to kill them. Samuel pled guilty and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. This sentence in Ohio would follow his sentences in California and Texas. Los Angeles police detective Tim Marsha told the New York Times... Looking into his eyes, I would say that was pure evil. In October 2019, the FBI confirmed that Samuel Little is the most prolific serial killer in the history of the United States. Out of the 93 confessions he has made, 50 have been verified, with many more likely to come. Their website features 15 police booking photos of Samuel from 1966 to 1994. In them, his hair is always short and neat, and he always had a mustache. Is not the scary monster you think a serial killer would look like. The FBI believes that even though he's already in prison, it is important to seek justice for each victim, to close every case possible. And in the hopes of identifying the victims of his remaining unconfirmed confessions, they have posted Samuel's sketches along with his chilling videos of Samuel describing his victims on their website. In the videos, you can see what Texas Ranger James Holland describes as Samuel's visualization. As he is starting to picture a victim, you'll see him look up and out. Samuel's voice in the video is haunting. His descriptions are detailed and matter-of-fact, although his dates can be a little fuzzy. One of his unmatched confessions in the FBI's website is from New Orleans, Louisiana, from around 1982, possibly in the autumn. In that little state, he met a black female and described her as 30 to 40 years old, 5'8 to 5'9", weighing 160 pounds, with honey-colored brown skin and medium-length straight hair. Little remembers that she was wearing a pretty dress with buttons on the front. Little said they met in a club where she was attending a birthday party with a group of friends and one of her two sisters. Little left with the woman in his vehicle, a Lincoln Continental Mark III. The woman told Little that she lived with her mother, who was sick and possibly an invalid. The woman also gave Little keys to her house. Little drove the woman to the Little Woods' exit off I-10, where he turned down a dirt road along a canal that was being dredged. They exited his car, then Little pulled the woman towards a canal, where he killed her and left her body. Afterwards, Little drove back to the motel where he was staying in Pascagoula, Mississippi. In reading Samuel's confessions, I observed a common thread, that he seemed to recall a little about each of his victims' families, which indicates that at some point after he met them, he had a way of making them feel comfortable enough to share details of their private lives. That is, until he turned on them in a flash and executed his plan for murder. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of the Johnson and Bentley murders. Three generations of a family were planning to meet in Wells Gray Park for a camping trip All six vanished. 14,000 tips later, their mystery was solved. Their murder shocked a country and will make you think twice about your next camping trip. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, We'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects and Fasting studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, And don't know strangers.